Welcome to Locksmith Talk with Loa. I'm your podcast host, William Link. Today's episode is Getting Started with GSA Work, and our guest is Joe Cordy, CPS CML, and he's going to talk about how locksmiths can get started with GSA Work. Now, if you don't know Joe, Joe Cordy, CPS CML, is well known for his expertise and knowledge of GSA-approved security containers and vault doors, as well as the locks used on them. Mr. Cordy owned and operated a locksmith shop for 17 years and began working for Moss Hamilton Group in Lexington, Kentucky as an instructor in 1992. In 1996, he went full-time at Moss Hamilton in the areas of product development, testing, and technical assistance, as well as conducting training courses. He has been teaching a variety of courses for MBA USA since 2001. So, Joe, how are you doing today? Doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm excellent. Thank you. Very good. Good. Well, Let's get started by going over what GSA actually is. What does GSA stand for, and how does it relate to locksmiths? GSA stands for General Services Administration. Uh, they're a property management uh, division of the government. They started in the late 1940s, uh, right after World War II. They ended up with a lot of equipment that they needed to house and a lot of property and everything else that they needed to take care of. So they started a big branch of uh, the General Services Administration. They stopped and recycled just about everything the government owns, everything from real estate to cars, trucks, office furniture, desks, chairs, right on down to pencils and pens. That also includes file cabinets and vault doors and safes, which is where the locksmith comes in. Joe? One question that a lot of locksmiths have is, does a locksmith have to be certified to service GSA equipment? And if so, what are those certifications? What can you tell us about that? Well, basically, yes and no to that question. <laughs> um, no, you do not have to be certified to work on GSA equipment. However, they are working towards getting everybody certified before they can do it. They're just not there yet. Uh, there's three different certifications that you could get. Uh, one of those is on the lock itself, which the manufacturer does. And you can also get that through your regular other two uh, certifications. And basically that's teaching you about the proper operation of the lock, how to work on it, how to install it, make sure you're certified and you do everything correctly. Uh, right now, it's only uh, Kava Moss and Sergeant Greenlee that have approved locks for GSA containers. Okay. But, however, the other two certifications, one of them is the inspector certification. And basically what they do is they go out and inspect the GSA container and they say yes or no. You can use this for storing classified information or you can use this as a weapons container. Uh, that's the two different types that there are, security containers and weapons containers. And okay. it takes a lot of information to be able to understand what to do on that. And after all, there's 20 different manufacturers of GSA containers. There's eight different classes of, of GSA containers, four different label colors. 
and there's two classes of vault doors. There's only one class of weapon container, one class of IPS container, and so on. It's a whole mm. lot of information that you need to have in order to be a, a certified inspector. And then the third one is the inspector class or certification. And basically, the uh, or the not the instructor, I'm sorry, I already covered that one. It's, it's the technician certification, and that allows you to work on. Uh, working on a GSA container, you need to know, well, any locksmith that's going out there and drilling a safe or any safe technician drilling a safe is really not going to want to recommend a sentry fire safe if they're going to be storing a whole bunch of money in it. Right. Okay. Same thing goes with uh, GSA containers. You have to know what type of container is allowed to store what type of materials. And if you're going to be drilling the safe, you're more than likely going to be replacing the lock. Therefore, you need to know what type of lock has to go on that particular container. The FFL 2740, which is the common locks that are out there now, like the XO7, the XO8, the XO9, the X10, the S&G 2740 and the 2740B are the ones that are used on GSA containers for storing classified information. However, the government also has GSA containers that are classified as weapons containers or armory vault doors. Those do not have, have to have that, or they shouldn't have a 2740 lock on it. They're required to have a 2937 lock, which is totally mechanical. And then there, you get right on down to, for example, uh, uh, special purpose containers. A special purpose container can be a, a file cabinet that's used, say, in a communications vehicle or something like that. And the lock that you put on it after you drill it is going to depend on where that particular container is used. For example, if it's used in a, a mobile communications unit, you can have a 2937 mechanical lock on it. You can also use that same container in an office. And if you use it in the office, then you get to have the 2740 lock on it, and it has to be bolted down because it's, it's a portable container. So there's a lot of things that goes into the certification classes. And if you're going to be working on GSA containers, you really need to know what type of container you're working on. And as far as label colors, well, that's another thing that's covered in the, both the technician and the inspector class. Uh, there's four different label colors, and uh, green is no longer made anymore. Blue is only for information processing systems. Black, uh, well, that was the first ones that came out. And the first GSA container that ever came out was made in 1955. It was a black label container. Uh, and after October 1990, I believe it was, they went to red label containers. Basically, the difference is there's a whole lot more protection. They redefined covert entry and started calling it, uh, or split it up with covert entry and surreptitious entry, which uh, also includes the lock that you have on. So there's a whole bunch of information that you really should know if you're going to be drilling these containers and working on them. Wow, that's, that is a lot of excellent information on certification. But let's say we have some listeners now, and they're saying, I'd like to achieve these certifications. 
Where do they actually go to do it or to take these classes? Well, there's two different schools that's been approved by GSA. One of them is Lockmasters. Okay. And the other one is MBA USA. Very good. So there's two choices right there. And do you know roughly? So someone's sitting back and saying, okay, well, maybe I'm going to go take these classes. What would be the typical or average cost in how long would it take someone to take these classes? It depends on which one you want to take. Uh, of course, the law classes, which is included in the two certification classes, a lot of them are put on by the manufacturer and they're free. And you just go wherever that manufacturer happens to be setting it up and doing the class up. As far as the uh, inspector class, that standalone class is a free aid class where you get to learn uh, the different types of containers, who the manufacturers are, the label callers, and how to identify a particular container by looking at just looking at it. And the technician class gets more into the locks and how to install them. Uh, it's a 10-day class. It is pretty in-depth, and you get to work on the specifications for different locks and the specifications for the different containers and bulk doors. Uh, it's, it's very intense, and I've had a lot of people cuss me out when I used to teach it because it was so intense. And I failed <laughs> They didn't figure they needed to know that type of information just to be able to drill a container to work on it. But the government is very particular. Well, I'm sure these classes are not free. So do you have a rough no. idea of what someone might have to save up in their piggy bank to take either of these classes? Well, roughly, I would say probably 200 to 250 a day. Okay. And the... The certification class, like I say, for uh, recertifying a container is three days. And then the technician class is 10 days. However, you can add on the extra day and become an um, inspector also. They're not cheap. No, they no. are well worth it. It's almost a necessity that you take these to get certified. If you, if you don't know all the different documents that goes along with it, mm -hmm. uh, the rules, the regulations, the... Uh, uh, directors, the uh, federal standards, all of that is involved in it. And it's very complicated if, you, if you're not familiar with it. And if you don't have the certification, uh, I might point out that you go out, let's say you go out here and you're, uh, you get a call on opening a GSA vault door or a GSA container. And you go out, you drill it, you do an improper repair because you didn't know how to do the proper repair or you put the wrong lock on it because you didn't know that it was supposed to have the other lock, or you look at the information that comes out of it. You can be blackballed by the government, and they pass the word around, and you'll never work on another one again. Wow. That's good to know. These certifications you had mentioned, do any of them require recertification or any kind of CEUs after you get the certification? Yes, uh, the inspector course is every three years. You have to renew it every three years because of all the new information that comes out, the new manufacturers that come out. And just the, I'd say the past five years, we've had three new uh, manufacturers come out on making GSA containers. So you need to know, to, to be able to look at a container and tell who that manufacturer was, if you're going to be relabeling the container, 
because the inspector class, what basically what they do is they look at a, a previously approved container that has a label missing on it or that there may be doubts or something like that about the security of that container. The inspector will go out and inspect it and say, yes, it's, it's still in good shape. It can still be used. It's not been compromised by covert entry. And it's just a missing label. So we can put a new label on it. So you have to be recertified every three years on that one. And that's the only one you have to be recertified on. Is that a recertification class you would take? Is it online? How does that work? Uh, I've been retired for 10 years now. And I think I'm pretty sure they still do it online. Okay. Uh, they used to be when it first started that you had to come into the classroom. And it was a three-day course. Well, now I think you can do it online fairly easily. At least they did when I was there uh, 10 years ago. And basically all it is is taking a test if you do it online. From what you're saying, there's a lot of technical information here. So an important question would be, would a locksmith be required to carry any sort of additional insurance when working on a GSA container? If they check you out, yes. Um, most places that will call you to do this, we're not, they'll only ask if you're certified. They don't ask if you have additional insurance or anything like that. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. A lot of it depends on which, which organization it is that calls you. Now, there is a lot of responsibility in it because if you screw it up, they can make you pay for a new container. So it's recommended that you have an insurance and business license when you go out and do this. Nothing additional. Well, let's talk a little little bit about tools. You know, as you know, many areas of this trade require special and dedicated tools, like key and fob programmers, for example, like our unique locksmiths that service cars. So are there any specialized or dedicated tools that a locksmith new to GSA work would need to have right out of the gate when they begin? Well, I'd say the biggest tool that they would need to have is the education and where to find the information. There's no physical tools that a safe tech wouldn't have that a GSA safe tech would have to have. Nothing that I know of other than the education and knowing where to find the information for whatever particular type of container they're working on. Uh, The DOD lock website, DOD lock program, they're the ones in charge of GSA is an excellent resource and it's one of the best tools that you can have in your book is just go to that website look up the information and go from there what if you were going to drill a gsa container what basic tools would you take with you right now if you had to go well every time i went i always used to call on many rig now there's there's other rigs out there but that was my preference and so i take a, a safe drilling rig and a scope a couple of probes and then a spare lock. I've also carried a um, very small welder that I could weld up the hole and, and yet take the paint and refinish it so that you can't tell it's ever been drilled from the outside. So right. that, that's part of the actual drill and repair is you have to be able to drill a hole in it and you're going to require diamond core bits on most GSA containers nowadays. So you have to have the proper drill bits, which is diamond core. You have to have the carbide drill bits to get you started and go 
through some of the different hard plates. It's a good idea to have standard drill bits, which most safe techs do have, to go through the lock body. And mm-hmm. then you need a scope to be able to look in there and see what you're looking at to manipulate the lock or the linkage, whatever's disconnected. Then you have to be able to weld the hole, paint it, and putty it, sand it down, do whatever it takes to make it so that you cannot tell that it's ever been drilled from the outside. Good. I think that's probably very helpful for some of the newer locksmiths who are starting to get into safe and vault work, but also might be considering GSA work. So how would someone make that leap into GSA work and then stay current with the developments? Now, you had mentioned recertification, but are there classes or forums they can go to, SAVTA, ALOA, where they can get any of this information? Well, the best choice if they watch their certifiers go back to the school that they were certified at. And that particular school should have updates for anything new that's come out, any new regulation. Uh, Their instructors should keep them updated. Also on the website on that particular school, they'll have downloads, a download section that you can download any new publications that are out, any new rules and regulations that are out. The school itself does do their best to keep you current on everything. As far as classes through SAPTA, LOA, um, any websites or anything like that, follow every one of them that you can because there's going to be information out there that some people didn't know about that they may have overlooked. Uh, school may not have that information yet. I know I got sent documents from the government from time to time to have me look over and pre-read it before they ever publish it. So if a question comes up about it and I'm on say, the SAFTA website, somebody asked about it or mentioned something particular to this, I may tell them, well, there's something new coming out on this and you might want to hold off or anything like that. Any information they can find uh, is, is good. And it's an education. You can't, can't take an education away from it. Well, Joe, once a locksmith has decided to add GSA work to their services, I guess the big question is, how should they start capturing that line of work? I I imagine it's not as simple as updating a business card or a website and just waiting for the calls to come rolling right in. Is that right? You are correct there. Uh, It doesn't hurt to advertise a little bit. Um, But if you stop and think about it, every federal agency out there, including VA hospitals or your courthouse, if it's a federal courthouse, it's going to have a GSA container in it. And your best way of getting started is getting your name out there and a reputation built uh, very slowly. It takes time. But the schools will have a database where they'll, uh, somebody will call them up and ask do you have somebody in this particular area that works on GSA containers. Uh, Kava Moss, for example, and also Sergeant Grainley that make the two locks used on GSA containers. They keep a, a database also. If you call them and ask them, we need somebody to work on our, say, our XO, whatever lock, then they can look at their database and say, well, we have this person in your area. Well, it all starts out from a recommendation. Or if you happen to be talking to somebody that 
knows somebody that is working on them, um, working with another person that, that has a reputation built already, word gets out. These government agencies will check with each other to find out who is doing the work well. And that's how it gets back to blackballing someone if they're not doing a good job. Uh, let's say the state National Guard Armory needs a container open, and they'll call the lock manufacturer or one of the schools, which is, they know about, and see if they have someone in their area. Well, they recommend somebody, this person goes out, he opens a particular container for them or works on it, does whatever work that needs to be done. Well, if it's Kentucky or State National Guard, I said Kentucky because I'm in Kentucky, but if it's a State National Guard, they handle the National Guard in almost every city, major city within the state. That carries on to any uh, any other place that might have a GSA container, and it's a word of mouth spreading. So you get a job here, you pick it up. If they like your work, somebody will call them up and say, hey, I've got, I need somebody. Can you recommend somebody? And it just picks up from there. But the best start that I think that I would recommend is trying to get with your state national guard because, like I said, they've got GSA containers in every city and the whole state, and some will have multiple containers. For example, right here in Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm at, the Kentucky National Guard here, over by the airport, they've got um, seven or eight vault doors that I can think of, and probably 40 or 50 GSA vault in the touch containers. And I used to go over there and work on them all the time. Well, they recommended me to the Air National Guard, and they picked it up, and then I, I was eventually doing the whole state and also surrounding counties of the state itself from other states. So it, 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 it explodes, I guess you could say, and the best bet is just do it right the first time, get a good reputation, let them know what you're talking about. Makes sense. You had mentioned uh, GSA containers being in military facilities, but aside from that, where would someone go to run into a GSA container? Other locations, other types of places that you could name for our listeners? Actually, you've got the State National Guard, you've got any military base that you're close to, you've got any federal building, the FBI office within your city, if you're in a large enough city that has an FBI office, it could be uh, Border Patrol, it could be any federal agency whatsoever. Uh, even a federal courthouse in a small town would have a GSA mm. container in it. They're everywhere. Joe, locksmiths that tend to work in sensitive areas, especially like bank vaults, government facilities, have learned there is a certain kind of decorum that is expected. For example, in safe work, it's often said that once you open a safe, you let the customer swing the door. The overlying goals in these sorts of unwritten rules is that you don't want to overstep your professional boundaries. Are there similar rules unique to GSA work? And maybe you can give us a few examples of what that really means. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, work at GSA, especially if you're working in a secure area, uh, you don't want to know what's, what's inside that container when you open it. 
a lot of the containers, once you drill them, you turn that handle so that they can swing the door or pull the door open themselves. Now, here's the thing. If you happen to see something in there that you're not supposed to see, so it's, let's say it's just a secret or a confidential or a top secret, any of those categories, if you're not supposed to see it and that facility's um, security officer sees that you saw it, they can hold you up for hours at a time, questioning you having your non-signed, non-disclosure uh, forms and everything else. And if it's a weapons container, it's not that serious. Now, give you a good example. Let's say that you drill a container and it's a file cabinet that's supposed to have top secret information in it. And all of a sudden you swing that door and it's empty. Somebody has been there before you and they've taken everything out of it, and you see that it's empty. Well, they're going to draw you into court as a witness stating that door was empty when it was open. I saw it. Well, you saw it. That's the thing. Now you're in court testifying that, yes, the door was empty when I opened it. So it can lead into a lot of unnecessary off time, and the government can be pretty strict and pretty demanding if they want to be. They can set you down for hours at a time or restrain you for days at a time, asking you a question. So once you open it, turn that handle, turn around, walk away. That makes sense. In your experience working with GSA containers, were there any kind of situations that were kind of uh, upsetting or, or caused problems, or were they all smooth and worked out perfectly? Uh, are you talking about physical or seeing something like that? or uh... Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been doing this for so long, I'm sure you have a few stories. <laughs> yeah, I do have a few. <clears throat> I remember one time uh, I was called out to Fort Knox to open up a weapons vault. And they said they had to get in there right away because they had to get their weapons up first thing in the morning for practice. And I got out there and I started drilling on the vault door. I tried all the diagnostics and everything else on it. And decided that I had to drill it to open it. It just wasn't cooperating. So I drilled it. And just about the time I turned the handle on it, this officer comes walking down the hallway. What the heck are you guys doing? Of course, he didn't say heck. And he was cussing us up one side and down the other. He said, well, we couldn't get in to get the uh, weapons out that we're going to need first thing in the morning. So we called in the locksmith and had him drill the door. The guy said, well, I changed the combination last night. And we just kind of stood there saying, with our mouth open, you know. <laughs> and the, the funny part about it was, when I got out there, they were so impatient. Drilling a red label ball door is going to take you. At, at least an hour if you're real good at it. Right. Sometimes three or four hours. Well, they got impatient and they wanted to bring in a torch to cut the door. I said, we don't care if we destroy the door. We've got to get in there in the morning. Well, when we finally swung the door, the reason the officer had changed the combination on the, on the lock itself is because they got in a load, a truckload of Law's rockets. And they were piled from floor to ceiling just inside the door. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if they used a torch on that? Wow. There are, there's a lot of stories out there that you'll run across. And, and uh, 
it, it can be exciting sometimes. But you have to know what you have to know to do it well, evidently. Yeah. If you screw up, then it's going to cost you time and money. And if you screw up drastically, then the government is going to really come down on you. Uh, they, a lot of people say, well, they don't have any authority over me. Well, they do have a certain authority when it comes to classified information. If it's not classified, you're right. They don't have much authority over you. But also, you got to keep in mind that uh, facility security officer, uh, they're not going to know, everyone is not going to know exactly what is required. And if you go in there and you, you drill, a, let's say it's a class six mapping plant, and they're wanting to put weapons in that class six mapping plant, you drill it and repair it, put proper lock on it, which is the FFL 2937 lock. If you put that lock on there and tell them to go ahead and use it, and within the next few days, they get a, a base inspection. And that inspector comes in and says, what are you doing to storm weapons in a, a class six container? Well, that's not allowed. Weapons container has to be a class five. So there's a lot of little things that can screw you up. And if the word gets out, you're not doing things right, you're going to be in trouble for a while. You're not going to, if you keep on doing it, you're going to end up not having any work at all on GSA. Even after spending all that money that you spent for certification, technician, uh, whatever, you're going to lose all that. So you have to be able to do it right. You have to know what's proper. You have to know which lock to use. You have to know which container is used for what. And you have to know what your minute rules and regulations are. There's a whole lot to it. And the best thing I can say is get an education. Take the classes. They may cost you a little bit, but you'll make it back in two or three openings. So I guess, Joe, a man with your level of experience and knowledge, you definitely have a lot of wisdom to share when it comes to GSA work. That's for sure. So as we wrap up this episode, can you offer parting words of advice to those who just are starting in or looking to begin GSA work? Best thing I can tell them again, I'll repeat it over and over and over again. Get that education. Understand the documents. Read them. Go over them thoroughly. And then read them again to make sure you understand it. And then before you know it, next month they're going to come out with a new one or a change and you're going to have to learn it all over again. Mm-hmm. Just get an education. Do it right. Do it right the first time and you'll be good to go. Especially the the uh, locksmiths who are just getting started, there are some publications that they might be able to look at to get their appetite started. You have a book uh, in the Aloha Bookstore called The Ins and Outs of GSA Containers and Vaults. That's by Joe Cordy and available in the Aloha Bookstore. So to purchase a copy of, the, of Joe's book, you need to visit www.alohastore.com. Now, Joe, you had mentioned earlier to me that there are some other books or materials that a person could get as well. Did you want to mention those? Sure. Why not? Uh, first of all, let me expand on that, what that book is, ins and outs of GSA containers. When you first read the title of it, you think, well, it's going to have everything in there about GSA containers. No, it, it doesn't. That book was written for the man that's getting out there to get ready to drill a container, and he's not sure what direction a lock bolt is pointing. Um, 
And all it is is a picture book. It shows the outside of the container. Of course, it has the name, lets you identify it. And on the outside, that picture of the outside of the container, it has a red arrow pointing in the direction of the lock bolt. And then it has a corresponding picture of the inside of the container showing you what the inside of the container looks like with the lock bolt direction. As far as other books, I also wrote a book, uh, which was my first one, uh, Things I Know About the XO7, 8, and 9, which is also available through Aloha. And uh, Aloha is the only one that I'm allowing to sell that now, so anybody that wants to get that one, there's an excellent book on the XO7, 8, and 9, and explains the operation of it. Now, I didn't do the X10 because I was requested not to because it's a restricted lock. However, a lot of the information on programming the X10 is in the uh, is about the same as the X07. Another uh, good book is the uh, GSA certifications, uh, GSA container certification, put out by MBA. That has a heck of a lot of information in it. It's a good study guide for GSA. It has dates and and rules and regulations and pictures and everything else in it. I started that one back when I was at MBA, and then it was later updated uh, by Andy Dennison. And he's well known for his GSA knowledge. Another good book is the one by Mike Willard, uh, The Safe and Bolt Technician's Reference Manual. Right. But, uh, if, if you're going to be working on any safe and bolt related items, then that's an excellent book to have. There's one chapter in there about GSA containers that was outdated, and I recently rewrote that. So if you order the new book, or if you order the book, you also get the, uh, what I rewrote on it. So Excellent. there's a lot of information out there. Oh, yeah. And I have the book, uh, you just mentioned, the Safe Technician's Reference Manual, and I've referenced that book many times. So, yeah, there are some great sources out there for people wanting to get started in this uh, business. And uh, Joe, we appreciate having you on, and hopefully we'll have you back again if you'd like to. I don't know what else I'm talking about. The only thing I know is GSA. <laughs> well, you know a lot about safes and vaults, I'm sure. So, uh, I know a little, but I'm, I'm not a, an authority on them. My main right. authority is on, on GSA, which I've specialized in the past 25 years or so. Great topic, and uh, we appreciate having you, and uh, thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. As your podcast host, William Link, until next time, stay well.